Well, good morning, everybody. We are in week three of this series, this post-Easter series, and we're challenging everybody, inviting everybody to let go. Week one, Daniel Wagner from the rooftop of Fondren Church overlooking Bobaloo and the, the corner market, um, Brent's over there, uh, Fondren Cellars that we didn't capture anybody walking into during church. But Daniel Wagner asked us to let go of fear. And last week, Susan, sweet Susan, my wife, my one and only, my always and forever, she stood with me in the stained glass of Fondren Church, a place we miss, miss having you with us. And we stood and challenged you to let go of regret. And today we're turning a corner in week three and we're gonna invite you to let go of control. Uh, I told Lauren we were switching up a little bit earlier this week when we were planning worship. So thankful for Lauren. Aren't you uh, proud of the team, uh, Lauren and all these guys that have been leading us every week? They're, they're in my living room today and I'm so glad to, to have them with me uh, leading us continually but i told lauren uh, that we were switching up we were going to preach uh, let go of control and her reaction was what a few others the reaction a few others gave me this week of need, we need that we need that it's good it's good timing it's important in fact if uh, hopefully you'll capture a shot now or later but on the mantle we put up one of those letter boards uh, so I wouldn't forget the sermon that, I was, that I'm writing. And I joked with Susan and one of the kids last night, the idea of let go of control, maybe, maybe that letter board, we ought to just keep it up. We ought to keep it up there because we probably, I'm sure there's some folks in my house that need that, right? To let go of control. Well, we're in a stretch of time. We're in a season, everybody says, that, that is unprecedented. And I have like probably most of you watched a lot of COVID-19 coronavirus press, press briefings. Y'all been cluing into some of these. And so you know this, right? Uh, funny how the networks are. I think you can guess why, but it uh, shouldn't surprise you that uh, Fox News carries the president's every daily press briefing. CNN, they've kind of checked out. They tell you a little bit later what he said or what he should have said, but that's kind of how it's playing in the media. But not just the president, governors from all the states, mayors, the federal, local, state officials. There's there's biologists, microbiologists in the room with them. There's uh, infectious disease experts, okay? So these people in their daily press briefings have been saying things, dropping uh, truth, uh, giving us direction. So I was able to research a little bit of the cliches. Okay, so these are gonna be, I'm gonna read to you the top 10 COVID-19 coronavirus press briefing cliches. Y'all ready for this? So you guys in the room, the worship team, production guys, of course you guys having church at home, you'll probably recognize these. One of the things that the governor's presidents, doctors and all have said, mayors and all, they've said whatever it takes. We're doing whatever it takes. Now they've said this about masks, testing, ventilators, economic relief for small businesses and families, whatever it takes. That's number 10. Number nine, we're working around the clock. Number eight, we're ramping up our efforts. Number seven, we're leaving no stone unturned. Number six, we're moving heaven and earth. We'll put this at five. We're 100% we're focused. And then others are saying we're 110% focused. We'll call that 105% focused then. Um, we've been clear all along. Nobody's changing their story, right? We've been clear all along. By the way, not many folks have been clear all along because we don't know, right? Um, we're following the science. I never knew that was so confusing. I never knew science was left to so much interpretation. But hey, we're just following the science. And then the, the number one cliche is actually a tie, a dead heat between, by the way, any guesses what it could be? You guys in the room, Jeremy, Lauren, Alex, Atiyah, any, any guesses? 
I'll give you a hint. It's, it's four words, but it, the word together is in this. Okay, so four words together. Atia said, okay, we're in this together. Now that's tied with, you ready? This is unprecedented. So there, there are your COVID-19, coronavirus, daily press briefing, top 10 cliches. Might have been 11. You guys doing math at home. Don't, don't make me honest. But here's the point that I want to make today as we invite you to let go of control. I look at the things that our leaders are saying to us, and I, I conclude that we need to feel like somebody's in control. Mm-hmm. Think about some of these things. We're working around the clock. No, you're not. You've been sleeping some. Yeah, we're ramping things up. Are you? You're, we're no stone is under. There's some stones out there in the world that haven't been turned over, right? Nobody, nobody can move heaven and earth. Are you doing these things? But listen to the language. We're doing whatever it takes. We've been clear all along. We're following the science. These leaders know that we, the people, need assurance. And what do we need? We need to know that somebody is in control. Now let's acknowledge that's human. That's everybody. That's the worship team here, that you guys at home, we all need to know that somebody's in control. But some of us, it's not just good enough for us to know that somebody's in control. We need that somebody to be us. We need to be the one that's in control. And there's a, now all y'all going to get this, you at home, those people have a name, we call them two words. They are a control freak. Everybody gets that. They are a control freak. Now, it just got a little bit uncomfortable in the room, didn't it? Okay, you at home, if you're watching with your family, your friends or roommate this morning, did it get a little uncomfortable? Those people are called control freaks. So how do you know if you're a control freak? Honestly, I have a friend several months ago, went to see a counselor. Uh, he had been uh, charged with that. Some people in his family said, hey, you're a control freak. Some people he worked with said, hey, you, you're a control freak. He went to a counselor and took the counselor telling him after 43 other people told him that he's a control freak that he thought, hey, I'm, I think I'm a control He made that confession later in my office because I'm his pastor. I won't, I won't throw you under the bus and tell everybody who you are. But in my office months ago, he said, hey, I'm a control freak. But how do you know? Do you have to go the route that he went? Let me help you today. Here are some signs that you could be a control freak. The first sign is that you aren't a good team player. You aren't a good team player. There's a name for that. You're a lone wolf. Now look, wolf, pretty cool. What do you think of when you think of wolf? Beauty, majesty. Uh, there's something to a wolf, right? There's a danger. There's a wolf is uh, intimidating as well, right? Beyond the beauty and the majesty of a wolf, there's a wolf is intimidating, but let's emphasize the lone in the lone wolf. Not by choice, but when you're intimidating, right? Now you can be impressive. Control freaks, would y'all agree? Control freaks can be impressive because they're they're perfectionists, they get things done, they move the ball down the field, they're hard charging, high achievers, they're control freaks, but they're, they, they don't play well on a team. They're, they can be a lone wolf and people pick up on that. And this is similar to be, not being a good team player. You know that you're a control freak. Not only are you not a good team player, but you have trouble maintaining meaningful relationships. And the key word there is maintaining because like the wolf being impressive, a control freak can start relationships. I mean, a control freak, you see a control freak, you don't know it because you're just getting to know them, but they're impressive. They're accomplished. They probably look good. Girl, look at that outfit. Ooh, look at him. He's dapper. He's got that Armani polish. He's going somewhere. He's carrying the Wall Street Journal next to his briefcase. He, he's going somewhere, but it's, it's maintaining meaningful relationships. And the people who live and work with control freaks oftentimes find themselves exhausted, 
suffocated and robbed of their individuality. One of the great challenges Susan and I face is how can we lead our kids well, and they're almost not kids anymore, but how can we lead them well, but also let them be who they are? God has given them something unique, each of them, and we want to lead them that way. We want to call them to a high standard and call out their best. Uh, we want them to achieve all that God has for them, but we want them to be who they are. And we have to be careful. So a couple of four signs. First, you aren't a good team player. You're more like a lone wolf. Secondly, it's harder for you to maintain meaningful relationships. And by the way, if you ever noticed, no one ever says, uh, man, you know what I love about her? She's a control freak. <laughs> oh, you know what I love about that guy? I love, man, let's invite him to the party because he's a control freak. Nobody, to my knowledge, has ever said that, nor would they. Third sign that you could be a control freak, you believe that you're 100% responsible for your success. Um, similar to that, there's sort of an adage that control freaks say when it comes to success. You ever heard this? Failure is not an option. Now, I love that. I've been on some football teams. Alex, you work with athletes, you play ball. I, I, man, I want to be on a team where maybe some guys say that. You, you're ready to run out on the field, but no matter the sport you're playing, hey, failure is not an option. Now that's rah-rah, right? That gets the endorphins, that elevates the mood, it gets things shaken. Probably makes you play better ball. Probably makes you compete at a higher level. But how about for life? Mm -hmm. What do you think? Is failure an option? Always. Always. Who, who has not tasted failure? And here's the great thing. I learned this a long time ago. Some of you who hang out with me probably heard me say this, but uh, failure is an option. And there's two Two lessons that failure can teach us. It can teach us, failure can teach us that it's final, or failure can teach us it can be like fertilizer. Right. It can give you an opportunity to grow. Look, I've been, I've been there. I've been on both sides of that extreme. I've seen failure be fertilizer where I've learned from my mistake because failure is an option. In fact, it's a very high option. In fact, the people who succeed a lot at any endeavor fail a lot, and you have to fail to get to the place of success. If Nick Crawford was preaching this sermon, he would use the example of baseball and hitting, but you gotta strike out a lot, right? Yeah. In order to get the ball, to hit the long ball, to move the runners over to, to win the game. But failure is an option, but is it final? Do you give up after you've fallen? Or is it fertilizer? Does it help you grow? So back to where we are, four signs of being a control freak. It could be some of you, you aren't a good team player. You find it hard to maintain meaningful relationships. You believe you're 100% responsible for your own success. And then lastly, hear me, you spend a lot of time trying to prevent bad things mm -hmm. from happening. Mm -hmm. Now let's make sure this doesn't stay at the level of some self-help motivational talk. Let's go to the best-selling book of all time. Yeah. Let's go to the greatest <clears throat> teacher of all time. And in just a moment, I'm gonna have you guys, if you would read some verses that I've given to you. But let me just say this on number four, you spend a lot of time trying to prevent bad things from happening. We won't read this verse directly. We're getting ready to read a few words from Jesus in just a second. But remember Jesus told a story. He told a story about two guys who build a house and one builds and one builds on sand and one builds on rock. Y'all remember this? And storms come and the essence of the story, I hate to bypass so much of it, but quickly I will say that Jesus tells a story. And he says one man builds on the sand and that man was the one who heard a word and didn't do anything about it. All right? Too many of us file out on Sunday morning. I wish we could sit in the pews, but too many of us go to the church and sit in the pews and file out and do little to nothing 
about it. And Jesus is saying the essence of spiritual and human flourishing is that when you hear the word and you go do something about it, and you're foolish if you don't, you're wise if you do. But notice in Jesus' story about building, about building a house. Of course, Jesus isn't talking about a house. It's a parable. He's talking about a soul. He's talking about a life. He's talking about character. And in that, he, it's not a story about storm avoidance. Have you ever thought about that? The storm comes to both people. So Jesus didn't say, hey, spend your time prayerfully seeking God, fasting, that storms won't come your way. He didn't even waste his energy on that. He said, hey, storms are coming to everybody. The key is where you're building your house. What's the foundation of it? And the real the difference of what divides people, not in a mean political way, but what separates people, if you will, is those who do something about it and those who don't. So it's not a story about storm avoidance. In fact, that's the story of Matthew 7. Jesus never tells any stories about storm avoidance. And so, but control freaks, they want somebody to be in charge. They want somebody to be in control. They want it to be them. They want their hands on the steering wheel. But hear me now, don't waste a lot of your energies trying to keep bad things from happening. Now, don't roll out the red carpet on suffering and say, hey, <laughs> trials come my way. I just can't wait to suffer, to, right? I mean, we're suffering as a nation. This is hard. We're all feeling the effects of it. I know very few people that are doing well during this crisis. And those people are kind of obnoxious. They're hard to, hard to live with, but they're, they're doing well. Time with family and they haven't lost their job and everything seems to be going great, et cetera, et cetera. It's like extended snow days for them. But hear me now, this is hard and all of us are in a storm. But if you're a control freak, um, you spend a lot of time trying to prevent bad things from happening. And as follower of Jesus, if you and I are gonna take discipleship, apprenticeship seriously, we're gonna need to change our mindset about that. So three passages I want us to look at. Alex Faust is gonna read Luke 12, 32. Luke 12, 32, Jesus said this. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Mm. I love that. I, I told them before we started, um, 30 minutes to an hour ago, I just love this passage. I've really been chewing on it a little bit this week. Fear not. Don't, don't be afraid, little flock. Um, it's the Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. And here's what I want to say to you this morning. I want to be in. Like, that's what I want to be a part of. I, I want to be in on that kingdom. I, I, I want that kingdom. I, I don't want a, a life where I have to fear. Now, we're always going to be tempted to fear. But remember, Paul said to Timothy, we, we haven't been given a spirit of fear. When you live in Jesus's kingdom, there's a different level of living. Uh, problems are coming left and right, but we don't have to live in fear. And what a great thought yeah. that the Father is delighted. It's the Father's pleasure that we live in this kingdom. Y'all know that's a kingdom of love and joy mm -hmm. and peace. Man, I, that's, I, I don't know, the older I get, the less I want of my kingdom. Yeah, sure. My kingdom is so small and so petty. Even when things are going great, and I'm getting compliments and things are good at the church and Susan's not mad at me and the kids think I'm a good dad. Even when all that stuff is happening, right? I think, oh, I got a little kingdom here and I got to be careful because I don't want to live in my kingdom. I don't want to live in my kingdom. Good verse, Alex. Thank you. All right, uh, Lauren Lucky's going to read Matthew 8 for us. She's going to read 5 through 10 and then jump to 13, Matthew 8, 5 to 10. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. 
But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel, I have found such faith. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Mm. Now put yourself, uh, you guys, you at home, put yourself in the Roman centurion's sandals. You guys have never been a Roman centurion, but just use your imagination. And you're back then, and you are you work for the government, okay? You're you're not the dissidents. You're not the rebels on the outside. Uh, you're not the ones who've been left out and forgotten. You're in the you're in the core of it. You you're with the rulers, and you have an important place with the rulers. You rule with the rulers. You're a Roman centurion. Your your sandals have like a Nike swoosh or something on the side of them. That's that's the level that you're leading. And so as just by virtue of office, this guy has what? What are we talking about? Control. He has power and control. Those two go together. He's got power and control. And we know that from his office. We know it because he says it in the story. What Lauren read in Matthew 8, what you followed along with at home. Hey, I tell people to do this and they do it. There's some control there. But notice that Jesus, or rather the Roman centurion, went to Jesus only. Well, I mean, what, what made him go to Jesus? Let me ask it. What made him go to Jesus? He had a need. He had a need. Had a need. That's the trouble with control, right? Mm-hmm. It's trouble when you're, um, your hands are on the steering wheel too tightly, mm-hmm. when you're clinging and clutching to something and thinking that it's, it's working. You're managing your life. How many of you are properly, fully managing your lives? Mm-hmm. You think you're in control, but it's only when you realize that you can't control something. And as you guys said, the need, it was the need that took him to Jesus. Look, it's going to be true of us always. Mm -hmm. It's going to be true of us at all times. Another passage, Jeremy has that in Matthew 6. Everybody, I guarantee you, everybody's heard this, but read it, Jeremy. This is in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay. If you, if you have pen and paper, write down, let go of control. That's what the sermon's about. And then write down what Jeremy read about what Jesus said. The, a single phrase in the most famous prayer ever, your will be done. Let go of control. If you're going to let go of control, you're going to need to pray this prayer, your will be done. Mm-hmm. Now, when can you pray this prayer? Here's what's cool, guys. You can pray this prayer anytime. You can pray this prayer when you're frustrated in traffic. You can pray this prayer when you're mad at your spouse. You can pray this prayer if you're mad at God that you don't have a spouse or you're mad at God that you got the wrong spouse, you got to trade spouses. You can, you can pray this prayer uh, when you want your kids to be in the house or when you want them to grow up and get out of the house. You can pray this prayer when you got worries, when you're worried about money. You can pray this prayer on your dying bed. If you're going to let go of control, if you are going to let go of control, then you're going to need to say, Lord, your will be done. And there's a contrast there. Your will be done what on earth as it is in heaven. Implicit in what Jesus is teaching is that there's a will, there's God's will, and then there's, there's our will. There's Robert's will. There's the Father's will. A lot of times that gap is too, is too great. So there's two wills, but there's also two places. Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May we be agents in this coronavirus season. May we love our neighbor well. 
And may we be agents the way we live. We would just a little bit, just a slice, just a sliver, just an iota, just an inkling. May we bring heaven to earth. That's what it means to follow Jesus and to say, not, not my will, but your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is a place. There is a place where it is perfect. There is a place where there's great delight. There is a place of eternal, perfect bliss. And that's heaven. But how you feeling now? What's happening around you? Look, what turmoil is happening that we haven't even talked about? What's going on with you at home this morning? For those of you watching, listening later, what's happening? Because this is earth, it's not heaven. It's broken, it's busted up and twisted and truncated, and we need God's will. So I thought about it as I was writing this sermon. I'd wanna be vulnerable today. Last week I told a story about a broken mirror. There is, by the way, guys, a mirror on the mantle that you're sitting in front of. Uh, most mirrors I hang or put up, they do fall. So just uh, be aware of that. But um, I was thinking about um, just sharing with you guys that I've got two problems. In fact, I've only got two problems. How many problems y'all got? Jay-Z had 99, right? And then uh, you're, not, you're not one of them, is that right? How many problems y'all got? Uh, I got, I only got two problems. Here, here are my two problems. I'm gonna be vulnerable enough to share with y'all this morning. Here's my first problem. The things that I want to do, I don't do those things. And the things that I don't want to do, I do those things. Those are my two problems. Those two are my problems. And some of you are thinking, if you know your Bible you're at home, you're thinking, you just got another problem, RG. You plagiarized the Apostle Paul, right? So you're going to hit me on copyright infringement. So let me quickly say what I've done. That's Romans 7. And he concluded, well, he concluded chapter 7. Thank God for Romans 8. We're going to preach that. We're going to do Romans 8. We're going to do four weekends of Romans 8 this fall, I hope. Uh, I'm careful making plans, but I think, I'm praying that we would do four weeks. Maybe in person, maybe online. Anybody know? Nobody knows. But uh, Paul said, I'm a wretched man. Why? Because he's got two big problems. The thing, again, that he wants to, the things he wants to do, he's not doing them. The things he doesn't want to do, he's doing them. How's that kingdom working? That's our world. That's our world, the wretchedness of me and you. We probably need to sit in that at times, don't we? Mm -hmm. To sit in that wretchedness, but to know that there's no more condemnation. Whew, Romans 8. Yeah. To know that there's a kingdom that's greater. To know, you guys, that we don't have to fear. We can fear not. Little flock. Because the Father is delighted and pleased to invite us into his kingdom. And that's a kingdom of forgiveness. Thank God mm -hmm. that is. So those are my, those are my two problems. Fondren Church has been blessed for all almost nine years now to have um, people who are in recovery, to have people who know their brokenness and go weekly, daily to be with people who talk about that brokenness. They introduce themselves, my name is. And the idea there is they find a place, an ongoing place of love and acceptance. And one of the things I love about the 12 steps in AA is there's a place where they admit, they say out loud and they keep it. It's in the big book. It's in the big book of 12-step recovery, and they say, my life is no longer manageable. And I have to turn my life over to a higher power, a greater kingdom. Well, one of the real downward things about this spring, summer season is uh, just no sports. Anybody bummed about that? Uh, you ladies, y'all bummed a little bit? Fellas, definitely? I feel, yeah, it's, it's just, we're just crestfallen around this house. And so, we, were, we couldn't wait, my boys, RJ and Wesley in particular, even Susan, for the Michael Jordan special to come on ESPN, The Last Dance, mm -hmm. reference to 
the what 97 season when it was when Phil Jackson before the season said this could be it and so they built the whole um, 10 episode series with that title and we've watched episodes one and two and episodes three and four and I know a couple people who've watched it multiple times but if you've kept up with that um, and I, we've got some young guys in the room some young guys in production you guys know Michael Jordan greatest basketball player ever right it's not it's not it's not LeBron, it's it's MJ and then it's Kobe second. RIP and then it's LeBron maybe, right? But it's definitely Michael Jordan, but fascinating series and it's I'm sure the ratings are through the roof on this thing, but it's an inside look at these guys and it's of course not just about MJ, about Michael Jordan, but they're showing Dennis Rodman and Scottie Pippen and Phil Jackson and Jerry Krause and what you're seeing is not just so much the championships. I'll never forget 1996 when Jordan won the trophy. His father had died, and uh, it was very emotional. He grabbed that trophy, and he kissed it, that basketball trophy shaped like his beautiful round head, and he kissed it and fell on the ground crying, thinking about the title, thinking about his father who was murdered. Um, but that this series, these episodes, have and will depict conflict, ego, um, unhappiness, contract disputes and personal conflicts and just a restlessness of soul. And this, this series, the episodes I've watched and look forward to show us it's a mirror, not just into athletic greatness and, and high level achievement and wealth and fame, but it's a, it's a mirror into earthly kingdoms mm-hmm. and how uh, they all fall short. Mm-hmm. They just all fall short. And so it's been my kids, my boys in particular, have heard me talk about Jordan on the basketball court and where I was when certain things happened, when he hit this shot and that shot. That shot. Uh, but now they're seeing like I am more the inside. Um, is there happiness? These great people that we're seeing, is there, is there a ton of happiness? Mm-hmm. What happens when, um, when our lives become unmanageable? What happens when everything we built our lives on, fame and wealth and all that, it doesn't doesn't lead us to where we want to go. So I want to say three, th- three things about surrender. Because as Jesus, Jeremy read uh, Matthew, the Lord's Prayer, your will be done. If we're going to let go of control, we're going to need to surrender. We're going to say, Lord, your will, your will be done. So surrender, three things about it this morning. First, surrender is the pathway to power. All right. Now, you're not going to get that on the surface, are you? You're not going to get that on the surface. In fact, we, we tend to think that surrender is for the weak. It's for the doormat. If I surrender to you, or you have a will and I have a will, you have a kingdom and I have a kingdom, and I surrender mine to you, then I'm the doormat. I just let you walk over me. Mm. But is that the way? Is that the truth? Or is there something different there? Mm. Surrender is the pathway to power. I wrote this down on Wednesday. If I'm dependent on God, I'm no longer dependent on money for my security, Mm. circumstances for my peace, or your approval for my confidence. Mm-hmm. Let me say that again. If I'm dependent on God, when I am most dependent on God, I am not dependent on money for my security, on circumstances for my peace, or your approval for my confidence. Mm-hmm. You see that? And we, I mean, how, look, let's be honest. What are we running for? What kingdom? What's our will? What are we going after? And what are we looking to to provide us those things? And so surrender is not for the weak. Surrender is actually, it's a pathway to power. The second thing is surrender is free. Think about this. Exerting your will takes effort. Mm -hmm. When you exert your will, you may get your way 30% of the time. 
We would probably say successful people get their way 70% of the time. But when you exert your will, it exhausts you. But when you surrender your will, now this, I'm not just throwing some religious jargon at you. Look, folks who've studied the human psyche have talked about this very thing that surrender in your soul is like the only thing that energizes you. Because when you exert your will and your way in your kingdom, it's wearing you out. Exerting your will means you're pretending. Mm-hmm. Now we got a mixture in, in my living room. Uh, we have a mixture of single folks and married folks. But think about first dates. Think about a first job interview. You ever gone home after a first date or a job interview and thought, man, I'm tired. I'm worn out. Any guesses why? You probably worn yourself out exerting your will and kind of pretending you're someone that you're not fully. Mm-hmm. But when you're surrendered, none of that. No pretending, no pomp, circumstance, um, just honesty. In fact, raw honesty that can lead to joyful freedom. So surrender is the path to power. Surrender is freeing. Do you want to be free today? Thirdly, surrender is Jesus. Let's just drop that. Surrender is Jesus. Your will be done. Jesus would later say, And John, John records this for us. Um, Jesus saying, my food is to do the will of my Father. Mm -hmm. Everybody gets that, right? If there are children watching church today, you get that. My my food is to do the will of the Father. Jesus is invariably saying, I get nourishment from doing what the Father says. Mm -hmm. I am strengthened by doing what He says. If you have somewhat of a spiritual life and you're just kind of going through the motions, you're not strengthened. If it's your kingdom and your will and you're exerting and pretending, you're not strengthened, but your food, our food can be to do the will of our Father. Jesus prayed in the garden. February of 2018, I was there in Israel in the Holy Land and stood there, took photos and prayed, had emotions, just being in the garden of Gethsemane and thinking of this very thing where Jesus said, Lord, if it's your will, Father, if it's your will, let this cup Pass from me the cup of death, the cup of suffering, the cup of agony, the cup of loneliness. Father, if it's your will. Mm -hmm. And by the way, this represents the the fracture in the human soul. Now, y'all, look, y'all have a body, you are a soul. Mm -hmm. You have a body, you are a soul. And the soul is fractured when when it's faced with this choice. When what you want and what the Father wants are different. And how many times have you been there? Look, I can think of a few times where I've never sweat droplets of blood, but I have agonized sometimes. I've been alone in a dark room, and I've been sweating, and I've been praying, and what God wants and what I want are different things. And here Jesus, representing God to us, says he modeled, he lived, he taught, he personified surrender. Jesus is surrender. And he says, Lord, if you're willing, take this cup from me. But then what did he say after that? The fractured human soul, hey, right after that. And I love the promise, yet not my will, but yours. Anybody know what happened right after that? All the gospels to right after that, an angel appeared. An angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. And I want to say something, maybe a little mystical, but I want to drop it today to you. I believe that same angel visits I believe angels visit. I believe the angels make house calls. And I believe when we're in this 
epic battle between what we want and what the Father wants, when our soul is fractured, but yet when we surrender and only when we fully surrender can we be strengthened. Mm -hmm. So surrender is the pathway to power. Surrender is freeing and surrender is Jesus. Surrender, here's the thing about surrender. Y'all learn this or learning this. When you, uh, when you turn things over to God, you take them back a lot, right? Yeah. Y'all ever do that? Oh, yeah. Well, the, yeah, y'all don't. Y'all on the worship team, so y'all don't do that. But the people watching at home, right, they, they'll do that. But uh, they're double-minded people, right? But not you guys. Y'all sing in church. Um, but for real, um, we turn things over to God, and then we take it back. Look, I do that. God, here you go. And then I want to take it back. Um, Jesus taught in Matthew, and I love this, when you really get into the word and study it, word for word, line for line. In Matthew 16, Matthew gives an account of Jesus saying, hey, if you want to be my disciple, then you deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Y'all hear that? If you want to be my disciple, you take up your cross, follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Luke adds a word. Stay with me. Luke 9, 23, if you want to be my disciple, you take up your cross, deny yourself, you take up your cross daily. Deny yourself and follow me. Luke throws in daily. Luke was a doctor. Y'all know a lot of doctors. Anybody doctors? Doctors are good at details. Doctors are smart. Luke drops that in there. Hey, daily. Take up your cross daily. It, it needs to be a daily thing. So I want to give you, as we round toward home, I want to give you four things that you control freaks especially can do. But all of us, all of us, including me, things we can do. This is from, from the Bible, but also from personal experience, four things to help us to let go of control. First, we can tolerate interruptions. Now, I'm gonna be gracious, I'm just gonna say tolerate. That's a low bar, okay? But start somewhere. Tolerate interruptions. I love this from Dallas Willard, Dallas Willard for the win. He says, 90% of the time, it is the unexpected, uninvited twist on your day that reveal God's fingerprint. Wow. All right, one more time on that one. 90% of the time, it is the unexpected, uninvited twist on your day that reveal God's fingerprint. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to give you one verse. I just want to say Jesus. Yeah. Study Matthew, study Mark, Luke, and John, and you'll see that Jesus was interruptible. He was accessible. A lot of leaders today aren't. Mm -hmm. A lot of type A, Western civilization, American culture people are not. A lot of church leaders mm -hmm. are not interruptible and accessible. Jesus was, and you want to see the fingerprint of God. Hey, control freaks, let go of control and tolerate being interrupted. Thirdly, look at uncertainties as opportunities. John 3, Jesus taught before Nicodemus, the religious guy snuck out to see Jesus at night so as not to be um, persecuted by his friends. Jesus said that the work of the Spirit, anybody know this? The work of the Spirit is like the wind. It's like the wind. We don't know where it comes from or where it's going. Now, we're here today in 2020. We got our problems, but we can tune in tonight and figure out what the wind's going to do. We know the temperature, the barometric pressure, the dew point, the velocity of the wind. We know when the storms generally are coming. But think of Jesus's day and interpret that to, our, to where we are today. God's work is like the wind. We don't know a lot about it. So tolerate interruption. Look at uncertainty as opportunities be properly prepared, not overly planned. You ready? Be properly prepared, not overly planned. Now, let me say, I'm not a good planner. 
How many of y'all know that? I'm not known for my planning. Let's just say that. I'm glad we have some people gifted in our church called Fondren Church who have the gift of planning. I'm really thankful for them. It may not seem like I am by saying what I'm saying, but I'm thankful for our planners. But be properly prepared, not overly planned. I think it's Proverbs 16, 9 says, in the human heart, we plan our course, but it is the Lord who establishes our steps. Now your heart, what happens in your heart? Love. Lust, hatred, hope, uh, intentions, all these things happen in your heart. You have a lot of ideas and a lot of plans in your heart, but it's your steps that show you. You guys in your heart this week said, I'm going to go to Robert's house and uh, sing songs and let's do church and we'll show church on Sunday. That was in your heart, but it wasn't until you took the steps to get in your car and drive safely here that you arrived. In the human heart, we plan the course, but it is the Lord who orders our steps. Be properly prepared, not overly planned. Think of Pentecost real quick. You remember Pentecost where God did a great work, turned the world upside down after that. And what'd they do? They had a plan, right? Mm -hmm. No, they didn't. They didn't have a plan. They were there now. They were there. They prayed and they fasted, but they didn't know what God wanted to do. So it was God who had the plan, but they were in the right place. They were prepared but they weren't overly planned. Lastly, surrender to him. I was thinking of this, let go of control. I was thinking of your will be done, your will not mine. And I was thinking of surrender and thinking of weddings. And you know, there's a lot that goes into a a wedding. There's a lot of peripheral details, if you would. Brides are finding this out in this season, but a lot of peripheral details, the cake and uh, the, the plan, you know, a lot of the plans, the, the music, the DJ, the dance floor, the candles, the, the photographer, just so many peripheral details. But you know what matters at a wedding? Two people and a promise. That's right. Two people and a promise. And you got a marriage. And the same I was thinking of spiritually for us. What matters is that we surrender to Jesus, that we push other things aside and say, Lord, I can't manage my life. There's another lettered sign here in our living room. It's over here. We'll probably get a shot of it. If you're going to let go of control, you have to say, your will, not mine. Your will be done. But you also need to say, I can't. God can. And I think I'll let him. I can't. God can. I think I'll let him. That's how you let go of control. That's how you surrender. I want to ask you this morning, have you ever done that? Have you ever done that? A lot of peripheral details in your life and mine, but what matters spiritually is you and God and you doing business with God and saying, Lord, I can't, you can't, I want to let you. Would you pray with me today? Just in the stillness of this moment, would you ask God if your heart is surrendered? You and I in this coronavirus season, we need somebody to be in control. We like to feel that there's somebody in control. This kingdom is shakable, but there's one that isn't. That passage that Alex read, that we read together from Luke 12, fear not, little flock, the Father's pleased, he's delighted to give you the kingdom but you have to be at the end of your kingdom the end of your way and your will 
to realize that your life isn't manageable, if you're ever going to let go of control. Father, I pray that you would help us. Lord, lead us to that place of surrender. And the world's telling us a different story, that surrender is it's for the weak. We have to be dependent and a doormat. But Lord, free us and get us on this pathway to power that we don't have to live our lives exerting our will constantly and acting like all of our relationships are a first date or a job interview. That the surrendered life, this freeing life, this pathway to power, this life that's like Jesus. God, it's, it's worth it. And so God, we want to be a people who follow after you. This we pray in Jesus.